It's episode 81 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and I'm being joined by J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp, and we, we have a few announcements today. Many, many announcements. Many announcements. So uh, everybody who likes to fast forward when we actually start talking about baseball, uh, listen through this, and we'll kind of get some details on uh fantasy baseball and a bunch of other stuff coming up and actually speaking of fantasy baseball jp you did an interview that people are probably going to be uh interested in yeah we'll get um a a little taste of it in this podcast in terms of just some like brewer centric stuff but yeah i did uh, an interview with uh, drew silva from roto world and did a good 45 50 minutes on on fantasy baseball uh so we did a couple of different things for the Patreon subscribers. Number one, we kind of just like broke down the benefits of doing different types of, of fantasy leagues just because some people are relatively new to it. I don't necessarily know if everybody listening to this does it uh, plays fantasy uh, regularly. But after that, we talked about a few stuff, a few things in, in terms of like the Brewers in particular. You know, what does he think about Yelich? What does he think about guys like uh, Travis Shaw? All of those tor- sorts of things. But then... You also have a part in which we kind of, kind of just talk to to Drew about like who, who are some guys that he likes this year. Where what are the good values that you should be looking for on draft day so you can be smarter than all your friends? Uh, we did a bunch of caveats in terms of saying please do not use any of this information if you do end up playing fantasy baseball against any of us. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then a few different kind of guys that you should maybe be avoiding um, on draft day. So and then we also. Uh, I made him take a stand on who was going to win the NL Central because he's a Cardinals fan. Yes. Yeah. So that was amusing. I, I, I was editing that. So I heard that part. And I'm going to open that one up to anybody who's a patron. That's not going to be just like a minor league extra exclusive. Anybody on Patreon, we'll, we'll put that up and they'll be able to get access to that one. So, uh, again, if you want to join there, uh, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast just added is the M and B level. These patrons get all the benefits of everyone else. Plus they get automatic entry into our Milwaukee's tailgate fantasy baseball league, right? That's what we're doing. And we'll talk about that right now. Yep, a fantasy baseball league. We're starting it up this year. Uh, To claim your spot, join the M&B level by March 20th. Uh, Any remaining spots, it's going to be a 16-team league. The three of us are in it. um, And then we'll have uh, the M&B level patrons first. Remaining spots of the league will be open to patrons and then the general public. So we'll have like a a, a drawing for those. So um, if you want... Uh, what we're going to do is have anyone interested uh, send us an email to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Uh, put fantasy baseball in the subject line so we know um, what you're emailing us for, If that it's not just a, a question for the podcast. So, JP, you're the one setting up the league. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so we're going to be setting up a head-to-head points league this year. Um, so give us a little bit more to a kind of keep us engaged throughout the year, give us a little bit more that we can talk about and then do something a little bit different than regular categories. So um, if you've never played in a points league before, 
it tries to a um, make hitters just as available uh, as valuable as pitchers because the vast majority of the time when, when you play fantasy baseball, it pitchers are just not necessarily as valuable as hitters. So tries to even that up a little bit, but um, you know it'll it's like a point for a run scored, point for total bases. So if you hit a home run, you get four points. Um, a negative point for strikeouts, point for stolen bases, things like that. Um, five points for saves, five points for wins. Quality quality starts gets a point. Your your pitchers get a point per inning pitched. Um, so a lot of different kind of categories that you can uh, manipulate and and try to kind of make sure that you're not. It, it it changes the strategy a little bit, right? So it's not like in regular fantasy baseball, you need to make sure that you get stolen bases no matter what, right? Like, and you overdraft guys like Billy Hamilton who maybe aren't that good at baseball, but you need somebody that can get those uh, those stolen bases. You don't have to worry about that as much here. You can kind of focus on guys that you think are good quality baseball players, whether they're they're hitters, whether they're pitchers, and you can uh, still get a lot of accumulation and maybe don't have to focus on saves as it as much for relievers if you can get a high strikeout guy like uh, Josh Hader. Um, but we're going to have two different divisions and then we'll have uh, playoffs at the end of the year. And it gives us all an opportunity. As I said, with uh, I was talking to Ryan about it, I think on the, the minor league extra and it gives us a good opportunity to all be in it. And then Steve gets to talk about how he doesn't know anything. And then Steve wins. Steve always wins. Yeah, except for that year that I crushed all of you in the uh, what was that? We did some we did some exotic thing like I don't know ten years ago or something. See, this I I don't believe is real. You're just making stuff up right now because yeah, that did um, not actually but, happen. So, usually, um, when when we've all played together, usually you're middle to bottom, Ryan. You're a bottom, and then uh, JP's usually the guy sitting there on the top of the league, and then I'm just trying to like catch him i'm usually sitting around second third place there so that that tends to be how we we've shaken out so far we'll see if this head-to-head points league uh changes that a little bit well and i've actually had it in the past where i've won so like we used to do this for what was it bernie's crew or like disciples of euchre we did it a couple of times as well and um and so i won a couple of times i've i but i also like spectacularly lost a, a year-long lead near the end a couple of times as well but so uh, the draft is going to be March 24th. That's Sunday night. It's going to be 10 p.m. Eastern time. So 9 p.m. Central time. So if you can make that, we would love to have you. If you can't make it, uh, we apologize. We just needed to make sure that we had an actual date and time. So we didn't like have to try to coordinate 27 different schedules or 16 different schedules, I suppose, would be the actual term. So we'll just do it ahead of time. So you have to be in by March 20th. If you're joining the MNB level, and then yeah. after that, yeah, send in your your submissions if you want to join the league before that, and then hopefully that following day we'll let everybody um, know who can claim those extra spots. We'll probably do whatever remaining spots are left. We'll kind of split it half and half. Uh, half will have the the patrons inter- interested, and we'll draw from that so they get a smaller pool that they get picked from, and then the general draft will have everybody you know who submits there. Um, and they can get picked out of that yep. pool. And then the uh, and then we'll have the draft order be randomized. Uh, I am wondering if I will just and I will like continuously randomize it until Ryan is put up in the number one spot, and then I will claim that he cheated. Um, I'm <laughs> I, I'm just wondering if that's like something that I might do because honestly, he might not have any recourse if I just 
claim it again and again. Well, when they see where Ryan ends up in the standings, no one's going to assume he cheated. So we at least have that Ryan's going for gonna, it. Ryan's going to end up winning in this, and he's just going to absolutely gloat over it. For There's like, no way. He, he's already going to start rebuilding for next year. <laughs> that's that's how Ryan plays fantasy baseball. Is he's constantly rebuilding for the following he's, season. He actually starts trading for picks mid-season, and we said, Ryan, that doesn't make any sense. There it's a no redraft picks. league. Settle down. So, okay. So to summarize, we have uh, Barrel Man patrons. They get our Patreon question priority and a thank you on the podcast. And we're going to leave the uh, fantasy baseball podcast that JP did with uh, Drew Silva open to everyone on Patreon. So you get that. Ball and Glove patrons uh, add in the monthly minor league extra podcast. And then the MMB patrons, you'll get everything I mentioned before. And you get automatic entry into the Milwaukee's Tailgate Fantasy Baseball League. So... Uh, join that if you can by March 20th and we'll make sure to get everybody in. Otherwise, like I said, uh, send your emails to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com if you're interested in the league and we'll put you in the drawing for the remaining spots. So uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Tokyo Sauna is back and the citrusy... Uh, Sugar Cookie Sweet Pale Ale is in stores today. Also in stores is Outer Space New England Imperial IPA with passion fruit and peach. Sounds good. That does. So, uh, like I said, that's in stores as well. So you can go out and get bottles of that one if you can't make it over to um, Carbon 4. And then uh, March 16th is the Taproom Only Pilot release of Magically Go Yourself, an Imperial Milk Stout brewed with Lucky Charms. Ryan, that sounds like it's up your alley. Yeah, it, it does sound very good. You like Lucky Charms? I, I like all of that. And other cereal for children? Hey, milk stouts aren't my favorite, favorite thing in the world, but yeah, way to sell it. Yeah, like I that the rest of it will be delightful, and I'm sure it'll we'll be magically delicious. It will be magically delicious. Come on, just say it. Um, okay, and then finally in March, K4 is releasing Radicat's New England style IPA. That's a brand new beer that'll be available in stores on March 25th, just in time for opening day. So a lot of uh, IPAs coming out, New England style IPAs. Yeah, I know your favorite. So it's it's like bitter without the citrusy taste to it normally. Yeah, kind of. That's kind of what I think of with the New England IPAs. I guess. But somebody else with a better palate might be able to correct me. So if you know New England style IPAs better than the two of us, uh, you can yell at us on Twitter about that. So uh, also get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the Mixpre 3, which uh, JP uses, and the Mixpre 6, which we're recording on right here. Uh, for more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Okay, so we actually have some news coming out of spring training that's more than just, you know, Corey Ray got some at-bats against professional or major league uh, pitchers. Yeah, there have been lots of bombs. People hitting bombs. There have, But I'm saying we have news. Yes, yes. they've been hitting bombs. I don't want to... Corey Ray st- strikes out a lot, and he's been striking out in spring training. That That gives me pause on all of your hype. But anyways, to get into this... Uh, news coming out is Jimmy Nelson is scheduled to throw an inning 
in Monday's Cactus League game against the White Sox. So actual live Major League hitters, it's going to be the first time since he went down with his uh, shoulder injury back in late uh, August? 2017. Yeah, yeah. 2017. So I guess how how hyped and excited should we be about this Jimmy Nelson start coming up? I'm just incredibly... Actually, I shouldn't sell as a start. He's just throwing an inning. We don't know when he's going to make the appearance. Yeah, we don't know. It's been such a long time. I don't want to put too much onto this one thing, this one game. It Ultimately, he's going to have to continue to work his way back over the course of you know, quite a while here. And this is just kind of a first step where we're seeing it, though he was facing live hitters in a simulated game. Uh, last week there were pictures and everything and it looked like every single scout who was like alive in Arizona was sitting behind home plate for that uh, for that simulated game where he went out and faced some batters so yeah that was a good first step but this is actual like he's going out there in a game against guys who are yeah it might be on TV I don't know for sure maybe it's on TV I'd have to check but uh, JP what are your first thoughts when you hear Jimmy Nelson's actually going to be back on the mound do you think We've possibly turned a corner and we can start thinking Jimmy Nelson in 2019 is a legit thing for this team. Well, I think it just is kind of an extension of what we've been expecting. We also heard that he is going to be spending time in in, um, extended spring training in Arizona. And so that just seems to me to a be something that's really convenient roster wise. They want to keep him in a place that they've got a lot of facilities to make sure that his rehabilitation goes well. They've got all the tracking mechanisms that they can, you know, make sure his spin rates, what they want it to be his velocity as good as biomechanics or what they want it to be. So they're, they continue to make sure that they're doing this right. Um, and I think that it's just much more of it shows why depth is so important and quality depth is so important because you don't you can do it right and it's a little bit unfortunate for Jimmy Nelson because I think that we've seen since last year he's really he like he's chomping at the bit he really wants to get back on on the mound and the team consistently says slow down you know let's let's extend this out for a long period of time but the big thing I think is kind of sitting in the background that we don't really talk about a lot is if he did come back right away and pitch really well near the end of the year where we would be thinking about a postseason run, potentially if everything goes well, um, everyone is going to be saying, well, do we need to worry about innings limits? And if you then allow him to kind of build up a little bit more slowly, you kind of take it easy and you put less, you put fewer innings on his arm early in, in, in April, you aren't going to need to have that conversation in September. Yeah. Which is, Sort of a best case scenario is that he works his way back into that. I know we had a question about Jimmy Nelson. I was letting you guys talk a little bit. Oh, I wanted to I, get I to the question because I have okay. I, I looked stuff up. So. Yeah, we we have a Patreon question from Tim Young. Yes, uh, given the nature of Nelson's injury and surgery, a lot of us were doubtful that he'd ever return to normal. Uh, the worry wasn't so much that he'd never be healthy again, so much as he'd never be good again because of the injury. Uh, he's asking us to talk about a few pitchers that have had similar injuries. And what they struggled with after returning was it velocity, command, stamina, uh, that sort of thing. So, I mean, the one who stands out as a very recent example that you could kind of point to would be Michael Pineda, who had a partial labrum tear, which is what we're looking at with Jimmy Nelson. And the results have been mixed. He was an ascending player when the injury happened. 
And so we don't really have a good idea of what like a, a set performance level was with him in the same way that we don't really with Nelson either, because Nelson had been pretty mediocre going into 2017 up and down kind of a, you know, a back of the rotation starter. And then in 2017, he emerges as one of the legitimate, probably 10 to 15 best pitchers in baseball. But the question was still going to be, even if he hadn't gotten hurt going into 2018, well, is this repeatable? Is this the new Jimmy Nelson? Or did we just see sort of a one-year thing? And I tended to think, because I was always a big Jimmy Nelson believer, I thought that he had turned a corner and that you could see it in the peripheral numbers that his, his strikeouts went up, his walks went way down. He became a different pitcher and was just doing things differently in that year. But we still, we, we don't know for sure. Um, Looking up some of the stuff about Pineda, I came across an article that was referenced during the Pineda era of something Jay Jaffe looked up. And this is somewhat dated. It goes back to 2012. And Jaffe looked at 67 different pitchers who uh, had similar injuries to what Pineda had. So we're talking about labrum tears. And what he found was that only nine returned to really successful levels at the big league level. So like 14%. Now, it's very difficult because these are you're taking very general approaches here with injuries where especially the shoulder is so complicated that there's varying types of injuries, the seriousness of those injuries. We obviously know that the rehab process has gotten a lot better. There's a much better understanding now of what it takes to rehab from an injury and teams are more cautious and more willing to just take it slowly with guys and the Brewers have obviously done that with Nelson. So we don't know, but shoulder injuries basically are the devil. And they're something that you you don't want to deal with them. if They're very disheartening that way because the shoulder is so vital to everything a pitcher does. And at the same time, they're sort of this mysterious, you know, collection of different muscle groupings and uh, and ligaments and all of that, that it's difficult to know exactly what a player is going to look like when they come back the reports so far on Nelson have been encouraging that it looks like there's some velocity there and some some spin that the the breaking ball still has spin but we're gonna have to see how that holds up over time and and the big issue too is also worrying about recurrence is he going to just be perpetually a guy who has to be shut down because the shoulder's hurting and it's it's making him ineffective so I don't know if that helps. It's probably more negative than a lot of people would like to hear, but it's, it is the situation that we're in. So. Yeah. JP, how do we balance being like realistic with how serious this injury is with, you know, at least the potential of adding what could be a game changing arm to the rotation? Well, I think, I think it's fine to be optimistic. I think what, I think the, the most difficult thing to, to kind of square is, the, the conversations about labrum tears and all of the analysis that people like Jay Jaffe have done to recognize that the Brewers have been pretty upfront with the fact that Jimmy Nelson's labrum tear is actually much different than most of them because it was not a pitching related injury. It was actually from diving back into first play or first base. And it was actually on the opposite side that most labrum tears happen, which generally is seen as being less serious. But then of course you are like, then why was he out for an entire, you know, a year and a half? Um, but we don't know. And the biggest thing about shoulder injuries is we don't know. Um, 
So until we start to be able to see more data, until we are able to see what what is kind of happening right now, I think best case scenario is we're thinking about like May to June idea of like kind of, you know, an early season new player that's added to a rotation that already might be going. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily know what else to think about that. But for me, I think it's fine to be excited because we all know what Jimmy Nelson was and what we would like to be, what we would like him to be. But it, it has to be tempered by just an admission that we don't know. And it's okay to just say that we don't, well, we don't know what to expect. Yeah, just because he's back on the mound, like it's a good step and we're hoping it can add more. But I think we're still in the same situation where anything from Jimmy Nelson at this point is more of a bonus than something that the club is ever probably planning on. Well, and I think that's the important thing, too, is they do have such great pitching depth, even without Nelson and some guys who can potentially step up and become really effective mid to front rotation starters. We think we hope so. I would say more. We hope. Well, there's. There's some reason to think that guys like Woodruff and, and Burtons can get there. I don't know. Woodruff Woodruff has always been projected as kind of a a, a three as his ceiling, right, JP? Uh well, no. I think that he's been thought of as by some people who really like him as a guy who can be a really strong two. Um I mean that there were some people. A really that strong really... two. So I mean, like in his good seasons, we're hoping that he could be Jimmy Nelson before he was injured. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, again, that's right? it, that's high end. I'm not I'm not trying to like pin you down to say that's what no. you believe Brandon Woodruff will be, but that that would kind of be what we're looking at at a ceiling if the, if that's a projection. Yeah, I mean, it again is one of those things that you can always find scouts who like guys more than others, right? But like when Brandon Woodruff was coming up into Double A, you said you had like I talked to a couple of scouts who said he was the best arm in in the Florida State League that they saw that year. Like, he was just the best. Um, and so, it's again, it's like, what do you expect? But he's a guy who's got three pitches, and if he's going to throw 96 with a with the slider he was showing last year, and he can flash a changeup, I mean, I don't I don't see any reason why he can't be somebody who, you know, has a, has a season or two in which he can have a, a low three ERA. I mean, his DRA last year, and yeah, it was a small sample, but it was 310. And they were in a position in which at the end of the year, he was in high leverage situations in the postseason and he was dominating a good lineup. It's he's got the ability to do it. It's again, it's a question of consistency and consistency is what actually separates somebody who is a guy who can flash and is a good solid number three starter to a guy who can then take that step to, to being a, a, you know, a Jimmy Nelson type that we were saying before the before the 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 injury. And so if he can prove consistent is going to be the question, because we can see guys like Keon Broxton who can flash over a couple of weeks and just be otherworldly. And you've got a guy like Lorenzo Kane who can do the good things that Keon Broxton was doing, but over six months consistently, which is why he's kind of, you know, he's an all star and in the MVP conversation. Yeah. Okay. So in other uh, pitching news, Jeremy Jeffress uh, is struggling with shoulder fatigue. He was only throwing 83-84 uh, with his fastball in his appearance last Wednesday. He was pulled after three pitches. So they saw this right away and they said, you're done. 
Uh, Craig Council says it's unlikely he's going to be ready for opening day given the timeline. So is this cause for uh, long-term concern or is this just a speed bump in spring training? I mean, you hope it's not a cause for long-term concern because I think Jimmy or Jeremy Jeffress, Jeremy Jeffress is one of the easier to root for guys on this team. You really want him to do well. You want him to have that success. And he was so fun to watch pitch last year with the, the attitude that he brought where he just wanted to like punish batters. It was a very visceral thing. Like he, he just came out and wanted to destroy people and it was fantastic to watch and you want to see that. But with what we know about the fact that he didn't sustain well into the postseason that he was he was dropping his his uh, splitter and so like he wasn't throwing that pitch really at all in the postseason and so you're questioning how healthy he was and like what was going on with him and there was also that weirdness at the very end of the season with him missing the the final games because of did they officially report that it was because of the epilepsy he was having seizure issues yeah that's what i thought okay well, I don't know if the team did, but it was reported by reporters. Okay, so there's all of that going on with him. The hope here is that they're just being extra cautious because there's no need. They have so many options. There's no need to push him early, and that if you can delay putting any real sort of innings on him early in the season, he's a guy that you can then rely on more down the stretch and maybe into the postseason in a way that you weren't able to last year. That's the hope, but shoulders again, this is yeah. shoulder fatigue. We don't know. JP, uh, Jeffress got worked last season really hard. Like we were talking about that at certain points in the season. Um, he was out there for a lot of innings. Unlike Hader, he wasn't just, you know, he wasn't throwing multiple innings every time. He'd come in for short stints and he was making more appearances. Um, could this be a lingering effect of just working really hard in 2018? I mean, it could be. It's it's hard to, I guess, draw a, like a direct correlation there because we, we don't know it, it. But it certainly fits a narrative that we would we would expect a guy who has worked as much as Jeremy uh, Jeremy Jeffries. But the one thing that I think, and it, I don't want to be cynical, but a lot of these injuries and a lot of this in which they keep saying they're not worried, but why rush is a very, very convenient way to solve a lot of roster crunch issues that they're going to be having at the end of the spring training. Right. And like, it's one of those things that I kind of hear it and I'm like, well, if Jeremy Jeffries needed to be ready on opening day, could he probably, but is he in a conversation where they're just like, they're like, look, Jeremy, look what happened in September last year when you had to pitch so much. If we gave you an extra couple of weeks off to kind of take, take some rest, get your arm right, have some time to kind of, you know, ramp up a little bit later than normal. And then you can come in and be fresh for when we need you late in the year. I could see Jeremy Jeffers be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I can be on board with that. Yeah. My shoulder's not exactly right. Let's, let's make sure that we do this right. You know, cause he's not, he's not fighting for a paycheck. He already knows what, he, he knows what he's making. Um, and yeah, I do think that we do have questions about, again, the, the health of his arm and why he changed his repertoire so dramatically uh, in September. I think that those are questions that we have, and this could correlate with that. Um, but again, I, I feel like we should be taking them at their word in which they, they keep saying, 
uh, we're not scheduling any tests and it's fine. Like we're going to go. But then at the, the other side of me, the one that doesn't want to just take them at their word is like, that's what they did with Zach Davies last year. And then he was out for like two and a half months as they kept saying like, no, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're not doing any tests. It's just weak. All of these things. And then he was out for two and a half. But then again, like you do have questions about like, was that just convenient? last last year to kind of take a guy who was struggling a little bit like Zach Davies was and just kind of give him some time off. Yeah, you know, Ryan and I were talking about that earlier this week. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, maybe they were giving him time off because it was convenient. But then I don't think like Freddie Peralta was in the plans. So, yeah. you know, calling up Peralta and giving him time when Davies, if he would have been just getting a rest and probably could have come up and made a start, probably doesn't make a lot of sense. So, Again, some of these injuries, you know, you, we're never quite sure. They're never going to be totally forthright on what's going on with this stuff. So hopefully uh, Jeffress can get right early enough in the season. You know, it would be better to have him at full strength late in the season probably than than right away. They probably have enough options early on to, to get yeah. by. So and, I, and again, if you, if you do have the depth that they have, then you do have the luxury to not have to push guys. Well, know? yeah, and you have plenty of things to sift through to figure out you know, is Taylor Williams going to take a step forward? Is Jacob Barnes going to take a step forward? You have all those guys. One fewer now with Wall being out. Nice catch on that, by the way, JP. I was listening to last week's pod and I was like, oh, sweet. He caught that before the official announcement came out that that was happening. So even a blind squirrel, man. Yeah. So um, I did want to catch uh, one question from Facebook before we move on to the position preview. Uh, we got one from uh Paul Martin, he asks, how worried should the Brewers fans be about the state of the farm system? Apart from a few star prospects like Hira, uh, it seems like there's very little backup outside of AAA for the major league team, and therefore very little to use in a deadline deal to improve the team. And I'm bringing this up because I think uh, JP, you and I touched on this uh, a podcast ago or two, a couple ago, and then I know you guys also discussed it in February's um, minor league pod. That was basically the, the entire podcast pod was us talking about the state of the farm system the state and whether or not people system. should worry well but also i you know i think jp if you want to bring up kind of what we discussed uh, about the bp top 10 and how they also rank 25 under 25 or top 10 under 25 yeah so a lot of the reason why the state of the farm system is is down is because a lot of the young talent is up in the majors at the moment and so if you do look at their bp does their their best under you know under 25 players and it's it's still stacked right you've got You've got Hayter there, Woodruff, uh, Barnes, uh, or Burns. Um, and you've got, you know, you've got Hira there. You've got plenty of guys that you look at and say, oh, actually, they do have quite a bit of young talent. They've got Orlando Arceus that's still there. And the other thing to to think about, like to to address the last part here where it says that they might not have much to use in a deadline deal to improve the team. Um, they've got a lot of interesting players down in Able. And so much like we saw with um, you know, well, when they sent Gene Carmona and, and guys like that. But the important thing to remember is when you do have depth at the major league roster, you can trade from that. We saw that with uh, the, the VR deal that I know that a lot of people didn't like, um, but it was VR who didn't really have a spot on the team and wasn't really playing. And they paired him with a couple of guys that weren't massive prospects. And they were able to get somebody like Jonathan Scope, who at the time uh, was still well thought of. 
and was well thought of enough that he's going to go, you know, be a starting second baseman on a team that might be able to have a shot to take a terrible AL Central. And so I, I do think that there are pieces there to still to, to work from. And the other thing to think about, too, is they've got a lot of guys down in a ball that uh, could take a step forward. You're going to see a lot of pop up guys. And every single uh, summer you see people that are traded that are pop up guys. Um, so I wouldn't be, I wouldn't despair by that uh, or uh, despair about that at this moment. I would say they've got a lot of guys at the major league level that they can move if they need to. Um, you know, you're, maybe Adrian Hauser is a guy that could be moved, kind of guys like that. Um, Troy Stokes is somebody that could be moved for, you know, a bullpen piece, something like that. But you also have a lot of pop-up guys down to the lower levels that are going to show up. Well, yeah. and the thing, too, and I'll, I'll kind of repeat what I said on the minor league pod about this, is this is a natural cycle where you have a bunch of guys move through and you trade guys and you're down. The fear would be in a couple of years if they haven't found a way to get around the fact that they're now drafting so late, so they will not have the access to the, the top end picks that they did before. If they're still kind of sitting down there in a year or two, then you can start saying, well, maybe there's some things they need to work on here and figure out a new plan because David Stern's stated objective is consistent contention. And to do that, you have to have a especially in Milwaukee, you have to have a farm system that is at least somewhat regularly turning out guys. So we can kind of kick this down the road a little bit, but for right now, it's it's perfectly normal. In a few years, it might become concerning if it continues. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into our uh, position player previews, and uh, I think we're going to try to go through this pretty quick because we'll then have a season preview podcast the, the week before the season starts. So um, we're going to start out with catcher. Uh, obviously, Yasmani Grandal was the big signing in the offseason um, with the potential to fill a what was an offensive black hole for the majority of 2018. So I guess, uh, Ryan, if you want to talk a little bit about the outlook now with Grandal at catcher, and then I guess uh, who you think – probably has the lead to get that backup spot because Grandall's caught a lot of innings. Mm -hmm. They should have a backup plan. Well, they've said that it's going to be Pena, basically. I think that they, they're they leaning heavily that direction. And so the question is going to be, can you keep Eric Kratz around at AAA? We were joking around. We were talking a little bit about the idea of, well, could you call him like a coach and like have him be in the dugout at the big league level and continue to like take batting practice and do all that stuff? And then like... If there's an injury need, they can then shuffle they him in there. they have 40-man roster rules, don't they? I mean, like, can he, like, semi-retire to become... Like, that would it, it would be kind of ideal. Yeah, I'd hate to see him have to go down to AAA, but I don't know. Maybe he likes San Antonio. That I've heard it's nice. I've never been. But so I that's kind of a question of can they stash him in the event that they, you know, and they probably will need him at some point. Just the way that catchers go, you probably will need to rotate through at some point. So... JP, do they need to stash Kratz uh, with uh, Jacob Nottingham seemingly being around and potentially being ready for major league action? Um, no, I don't. And this sounds, you know, insensitive because I actually like Eric Kratz quite a bit. But no, because there are Eric Kratzes that are going to be available on the, the waiver wire. Um, if you if you end up needing it, it, it's exactly what they did last year, where they were able to get somebody like Kratz. You have Martin Maldonado just signed some crappy ass one year deal with the with the Royals um, where like there are still quality guys that are out there that are still looking for jobs and he uh, signed that because Sal Perez went down yeah they weren't absolutely. out there like searching for a, a catcher it was just like oh he's still available absolutely and so I don't 
do you think that Eric Kratz would, because Eric Kratz would need to accept a move to AAA. I mean, that would come down to how much, like, what's his relationship with counsel? What's his relationship with Stearns? All that. I I understand what it depends on. I'm asking, do you think he would take it? I hope so. That's coloring my judgment on it. I don't know. I mean, he probably, he's a big big league catcher. I am shocked. I am shocked that you're hedging on a question. Okay, let me continue. Eric Kratz is a big league catcher in an era where there's so little uh, catching talent, especially the man is but if a you can find that, monster. if you can find that kind of guy on the waiver wire, is he really a big league catcher? But you can find guys that have some sort of comparable value. You're not going to find necessarily a guy who can be a you know top 10 pitch-by-pitch pitch defensive catcher the way he was. I don't know, 39 years old? That's... But he, the numbers are there. He was an outstanding defensive catcher, especially in the framing department, but really everything else, too. He was an outstanding defensive catcher last year, and it propped up a big part of his value and it was why they turned to him in the postseason. But if he's that good, why isn't he already just locking down the backup spot? Well, they need to keep Manny Pena because Yasmani Grandal signed a one-year deal. They can't get rid of Pena. They're, they're running out of time on that. They need Pena for... 20 but pina checks off a lot of boxes that kratz does as well sure and he's younger they need pina for 2020 to 2022 i get that, more so I'm than this that, year kratz would probably they, be the better option purely for 2019 i disagree with that i disagree with that pina i feel like at least has the potential to be a better offensive player than what kratz is and he's still going to give you the defense so i i don't see how that's kratz fair. would be a better option um jp real quick uh, Grandall's impact on this lineup for 2019. Uh, it's massive. I think and it. I was just trying to, um, I was trying to, to look it up, but I think basically the, the Brewers a couple of days ago, um, if not on Saturday actually like had one of their, what I would consider close to their opening day lineup. And Grandall, I think was like hitting sixth and Moustakis yeah, was, was down hitting seventh. Yeah. And I was just like, Man, that's such a that's such a different lineup than last year where we were saying like, you know, after the fifth spot in the lineup, it was just an absolute black hole. But then you've got two quality like all, guys who have been all stars down in the six and seven spot. The Brewers had the worst six spot in the lineup over the first four months of the year last year. It was 30th out of 30 teams. It was so bad. And then it, it actually got a little bit better. They were around like the bottom third for the seven and eight spots. But that six spot was so damaging to them because they just had nothing where most teams have a pretty legitimate offensive player. And that's not a concern now, especially with both Moustakis and Grandal in. Yeah, it's so, not an issue. J- well, JP, if, if you like souvenirs and you were going to get season tickets, would uh, the right field bleachers be the place to get them this year? It would certainly be a, a, good, a good place to kind of hold up shop but or try to get on the the what is it the miller light beer pen is that what it's called Mm -hmm. i'm not even sure what it is anymore oh Um, the the picnic area yeah 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 oh the beer pen's a separate thing that's up in the that's one of those little stands that's actually up no i'm not sure what the thing is called some airline used to have it i don't know ati the physical therapy place used to be like mercedes benz or something i don't think they ever went that high end I thought it was. I don't know if you could put Mercedes-Benz that close to a Toyota 
territory. Well, I think that they've moved past Mercedes that Benz would be encroaching on Toyota's territory. So, um, but, uh, but no, just to, cause I did actually look it up and, and, and Grandall was hitting in the fifth spot, but that was because Thames was actually in the lineup and he was in the seventh, uh, in seven hole. And I can't imagine that if Jesus Aguilar were actually starting, he'd be hitting down to the seven spot. So I would imagine that Grandall slides down to six. Mustaka slides down to seven. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's if you've got that lineup, you can deal with Orlando Arcia's bat, honestly. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to first base, we have uh, Jesus Aguilar with the breakout season in 2018. Um, looks like he's the first baseman at this point. That's for the most part what we're all assuming. I, I think so, but I wouldn't say he's the everyday first baseman in the traditional sense of 150 games a year. Like, I think that Eric Thames is going to get, as long as he's on the roster, he is going to get a significant amount of at-bats. And they'll find him wherever they have to. He'll probably get some in the outfield. He'll probably get more at first base, hopefully more at first base. And then as the first pinch hitter in a big situation that they need as well. So you're going to see a decent amount of Eric Thames. Yeah, uh, JP, we have a question, uh, Patreon question from Joe Rasmussen. He asks, are we really sure that Jesus Aguilar is a better first-time first-base, op- full-time first-base option than Eric Thames? Um, short answer is no, just because of the small sample on both of their kind of successes. Because Eric Thames has had to deal with injuries, and it's when he has actually played over a long period of time, he can hit for a lot of power and draw some walks to the to the point that he's quite effective uh jesus aguilar he was brilliant in the first half last year and and he was basically kind of a fringy league average guy over the second half um which again league average is still is still good um that's not saying that he was an absolute crater but it the vast majority of this conversation about him being an elite option at first base or being in a well above option at first base is banking on about like three months of product um so no i don't think it is definitive what i will say is i expect jesus Aguilar to get 550 plus plate appearances unless um unless he just absolutely plays himself out of the position i think right now jesus Aguilar is the guy at first base um i think that they might try to use Thames where they can but considering Thames's injury history, considering his ineffectiveness against lefties, and considering his flexibility that he can give a, a big left-handed stick for late-game situations, and you can kind of play around with him at that point, Eric Thames is going to have to hit himself into a role. I think that Jesus Aguilar will have to hit himself out of a role. Yeah, that seems fair. I mean, I think that it's easy to forget how good Thames has been in bursts, and it would be... No, it's not. He's awesome in their gifts, and he has a Korean theme song. Yes. So So no one's going to forget how good he's been. It it happens sometimes because it it tends to be in April and May, which that's the best often get written off. That is the best time to be great because everybody's watching and everybody takes notice if you get off to a hot start. But yeah, you get to sit on those numbers then. Yeah. There is a point that there is a a backlash that came to Eric Thames when he wasn't as good as, you know, his otherworldly. April when he first came over, right? Because it's exactly what we saw with guys like Gene Segura. It's exactly like we see with guys where they feel like they bought into something so hard. And then when you don't live up to it, you are a bust. Jesus Um, Aguilar had a pretty big fan club in the second half of 2017 of people wanting to see him chip into Eric Thames's at bats because 
he was doing better at that moment and Thames had cooled off after such a hot start. JP, is there a certain amount of just management of Thames' time on the field that they're going to have to do because he has dealt with injuries in multiple seasons now? Yeah. I think so. And it's even going back to Korea, he was saying that like he had to he has to spend so much time taking care of his body when it comes to stretching, when it comes to those sorts of things, because he gets a lot of muscle injuries and he's got tight muscles as it is Uh, just in terms of like he can pull hammies pretty easily. He can do those sorts of things just because of the way that he says his body, you know, he's kind of learned his body is built that way. Um, And it's not because he's got huge muscles like that's not how like hamstrings and stuff work like that. But I saw your face, Steve. Uh, (laughs) You saw me. You saw me gearing up for that one. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I saw you. Um, And so, yeah, so I think that Thames, they will absolutely have to take care of him Um, again. There is a question and I, I know that I don't get a lot of great like responses to this. There is a question for what Eric Thames's position is on this team in July. Um, I think right now he's basically played himself into an opening day role um, because, you know, like Spangenberg probably doesn't need to be on the roster. Um, I still think that when I have questions about what Eric Thames is going to do and what his position on the team is, I think once you've got guys like Dubon, once you've got guys like Hira, I don't think there is a spot for Eric Thames on the team. Um, That might get solved through injuries, uh, but I would... I would like to see Eric Thames get a chance to play every day. And I don't think that that happens on on the Brewers. Of course that if you can have a guy of his talent on, on, on the bench, you know, that's good. But there are questions about whether or not he's a guy who needs to have consistent playing time to really be effective. Yeah. But I, I think we we've seen how the Brewers are run. Um, if, it, if, if it's between a player with options and one who doesn't have options, they're going to keep all the talent they can first and then make decisions later on in the season. So um, even if Thames doesn't seem to have a position immediately, I think he's still likely to be, you know, the other I mean, first baseman to start the season. And, and what happens if Eric Thames all of a sudden starts, you know, his leg hurts a little bit in a week? Right. Or well, you deal with it when that You deal with that when it happens, though. No, I may. I meant a cynical like they're gonna allow him to be on the DL so they don't have to make that decision. Sure, you know that's how they're gonna do it. So, okay, second base uh, was interesting this off season um, when the Brewers signed Mike Bustakis, and we found out that Mike Bustakis would be the uh, starting second baseman as long as everything went well in spring training. There doesn't seem to be anything that indicates at the moment that he won't be able to play second base. He he doesn't see he's kind of a, a linebacker playing second base, but it seems like he'll be able to do it. Yeah, he's not nearly as tall as Shaw. So in some ways, Shaw looked more awkward because usually second basemen are pretty small. So he, he's fine over there. From That's what because I've seen. Ryan had a uh, uh, what's his name from Houston? El Tuve on his fantasy team. Yes. <laughs> so everything's in the lens of what your fantasy team looks like. Everything. So. Everything is how many El Tuves is it? Yeah. How many El Tuves? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, Moustakis is going to be the second baseman. The question is, how well does he hold that down defensively over the course of the early part of the season? Do we see real need to move on from that? And then does Keston Hero push himself into the conversation? Like, he could do that with a really hot uh, 
run to begin the year at, at AAA and make it hard for the Brewers to keep him down. Uh, well, I think for that, it would take a combination of Hira having a hot start at AAA, but also like Moustakis would have to be just absolutely terrible. Well, or Shaw or somebody could get hurt and then Moustakis would move over that to would, third. That yeah. would possibly do it, but I don't think like if everything's going fine and Shaw and Moustakis are kind of doing what we expect them to do, I don't think Hira's really got a shot unless he does something just otherworldly of pushing himself onto the roster at the moment. JP, do you disagree with that? Uh, I mean, what's the time frame on that? Six weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably right. I think he'd have to just absolutely smash the ball. Um, I think... God, I still, I just, I, I still just think by by June he's on the team. Hero's on the team by June. I, I just don't understand. I don't. I think if you're trying to get your best quality team that you possibly can have, you have Hero as your second baseman, unless he proves himself otherwise or he struggles. Um, I still think you have him as your second baseman, and you have Mike Mustakas as a guy who can play uh, third base, second base, and kind of move around. He can be, he can be your. Uh, Aaron Perez with a better bat, basically. Can anybody ever replace Hernan Perez, though? Not in your heart. It's the era of Hernan Perez. Or on your phone. The dawning, yeah, (laughs) the dawning of the age of Hernan. Yes, exactly. Well, you say on my phone, and and, uh, my son was flipping through videos and photos of himself sledding the other day. And uh, I think he was showing Ryan's wife, Amy, and I'm like, oh, they're going to hit a weird picture of Hernan Perez coming up here pretty quick. Keeps flipping <laughs> yeah, through excellent. These. So that, that's sultry, sultry Hernan Perez. Okay, but Musaka's at second base. Um, obviously, the, the ripple is Shaw going back to third base um, and, and the kind of effect that has on the team. Shaw was obviously being a, a team player last year, moving to second base when Mustakas came. Uh, is he just more of a natural fit at third base? And how do we think that just affects his overall game, Ryan? Well, the metrics say that Shaw is a better third baseman than Moustakis. So that's, I think, part of the reason why they've they've headed this direction. And also because it helps Moustakis' marketability. We've talked about that in the pod before. JP has brought that up. It helps his marketability to be able to say, I can take a glove and go play second base competently. Because the way things are in baseball now, everybody wants guys who can do multiple things to be able to move guys around and and make your best possible roster. So, yeah, I think we could be in for a potential big year from Shaw this year. Uh, Some things seem to be coming together for him that way. The question is, will he be a regular against left-handed pitchers? Because he has struggled with platoon issues against left-handed pitchers. So do we see a situation where down in the stretch run, Moustakas potentially moves over to third base because he doesn't have the platoon split issues to the degree that Shaw does. And then that opens up possibilities for uh, Keston here at second base to, to mash in some lefties, which could be a concern. That's kind of a low key issue. I'm wondering about this year. I have no worries. The Brewers are going to kill right-handed pitching left-handed pitching. They're relying an awful lot on Jesus Aguilar, Ryan Braun, uh, Lorenzo Cain to be really good. So that's and kind Chris, of an open I mean, question. Christian Yelich is not an, uh, Chris, a poor hitter. Yes. Chris Yelich, I actually just wrote about it on BP this a uh, couple weeks ago, had one of the, t- the top 10 OPSs amongst outfielders against lefties last year. So, yeah. Anyway, point is they, they don't have nearly as deep a team against 
left-handed pitching as they do right-handed pitching at this point. Yeah, I'm. I I think that that's a little bit overblown, but I I see what you're saying. Um, basically, against lefties, they have what two guys that aren't very good. I mean, Eric Thames and Travis Shaw. And Thames wouldn't play anyways. Right. So I mean, Mustakis was fine. I mean, he wasn't great, but you know, low 700s OPS is certainly not anything to you know get upset about against lefties, and he doesn't even have to play. Um. You would figure by midseason you'd have Hira that could step into whatever he needs to be able to do then. Um, and then in the outfield, you've got basically Lorenzo Kane, Ryan Braun, who both mash lefties, and you've got Christian Yelich, who was one of the top against lefties last year. Yes, Money Grandal can hit both sides of the plate. I mean, I'm not I, I take the I take the point in terms of thinking about Travis Shaw and then thinking about the fact that his replacement is either Mustakis or Aaron Perez, and that's not really exciting. But I don't I don't I guess in unless it's just about like raw number of lefties on the, the team, I don't see a huge issue there. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, we have uh Orlando Arcia. We're hoping for a bounce back in twenty nineteen after just a wretched start at the plate um, in 2018. Uh, he finally got the call back up in, was it late August? Mid-August. Yeah. Mid-August last year. Um, and he was all right, and then he was kind of a playoff hero. Even though I think most people watching didn't think he looked like he completely solved every issue, he seemed to be able to put together a pretty good month of baseball there. He trolled Cub fans so hard, and it's... He has earned a soft spot in my heart for that one. Cause He's definitely he a Brewers really, walk of famer now with with what he did to the Cubs. I think in the playoffs. Well, in that in that one game, he just drove them absolutely insane, and it was wonderful to watch and read the reactions coming from Cubs Twitter and Cubs blogs on that one. Because I think I was just, trying to just zero in on on the Twitter feed of Cubs fans in, in Cubs writers at the time because it was it was just like delicious. To, to read because they knew what Arcia had gone through. Well, they, they definitely knew. So they knew that like this was more frustrating than you could ever imagine. Well, and they, but they played it off like 2017 hadn't happened where he was, you know, a very competent big league hitter. Sure. They acted like he was the worst hitter that had ever existed. It was like, well, no, he, he's had a very awful year. So Arcia, we have a well above average shortstop. Um, and there's no reason to expect that his glove is going to have any issues. It didn't last season when he was slumping at the plate, so uh, he should be able to maintain that. I guess, what do we expect in 2019, and what does he have to be at for him to be at least playable for the season? I mean, if he's within shouting distance of what he did in 2017 with the bat, that's fine. Which was? Um, OPS plus around 80. I mean, if... Yeah, I think if he does that, it's it's more than fine. Right. Yeah. If he's around eighty, he, he, yeah, it's an easy everyday play. I think he could. I think in his best years, I still believe in his best years, he's going to be an average to slightly above, maybe a one one ten OPS plus at, at his best, at his very best. I think we'll see so, that. He, there was a reason that that dude got the love that he did as a prospect, and that. People looked at his bat and said, yeah, there's there's a lot of room for growth there. And he yeah, but projecting growth is different than what a player actually turns out to be just because they looked at him and said he's young at a level and, you know, we like what he's doing and we think he can grow into a better, you know, hitter doesn't mean that like that's actually what he is. Well, and I'm also not putting that high a bar on it in his I'm saying in his best seasons, I think he's going to be up Who around wrote that? 100. Did you guys see that article this week? 
JP, did you see that? Somebody wrote about uh, teams manipulating young players up to higher levels. Keith basically. Law, it was in his email. Is that what it was? Okay. It was, yeah. Yeah, Law was writing about his email that, that he thinks teams are, are promoting young players who are kind of marginal early on basically to, to juice their um, standing for trades later in the season. Basically no, that the algorithms I, that, are going to like them more. Yeah. And I think I, that's ridiculous. I think that might be a byproduct of why teams are doing it, and they're doing it to try to weed out how good of a player is. It's It's been a long thing about teams, including the Brewers, have been pushing their young prospects up more quickly because they think that they can then tell much more quickly what, what they should expect out of that player going forward to push them as, as hard as possible. So um, where Law says that teams are doing it to flip them because their value is inflated, you're saying it's more they're trying to evaluate them. I would better. say it's a. I would say it's a benefit. Uh, I, it's a beneficial byproduct of something that started for a different reason, um, and that doesn't mean that that's not actually an effect. That teams actually do, um, you know, take age into such a consideration that their algorithms then prefer them. And yeah, teams might be like, actually, this is a great idea, but they're going to do it first and foremost because they're trying to push their younger players to evaluate them as quickly as possible. Um, the other thing I would say about that is I didn't read the email. I would need to see evidence that these young players are being flipped at a much more quick rate at at because otherwise if it's just the idea that algorithms can then can do it that's great but you would need to be able to show me that there are marginal guys who are being pushed and then once they're pushed are much more quickly being traded otherwise i think it's just an intellectual exercise of like something somebody noticed about a byproduct of a different factor. Yeah, I think that's why this was in just his email and not like some official thing yeah, he, he wasn't, wrote for ESPN. Yeah, he wasn't putting out on an ESPN thing. So uh, anyways, uh, I guess uh, backup infielder. Uh, I don't see how it's not Hernan Perez. Well, I mean, the question is, where is it to begin the season and where does it evolve to? But yes, Perez it starts seems with like- Hernan Perez and it evolves into more Hernan Perez. Like, it, is there it, any it, other option it, there? I mean, Spangenberg. It, it, no, it's Aaron Perez because he's also going to be the right-handed guy who can handle corner outfield spots when you don't want to have Ben Gamble there. Right. So, yeah, I think Aaron Perez is the primary, again, super utility guy, with Steve particularly highlighting the super part. He is super. You know, I've been at the field when he was out there, like, throwing batting practice to his son, and it is adorable. I, it is. It's great. You know, I love seeing it. You know, he's out there, and his kid could rake. I know, man. Like, that's actually like one of the things for diehard baseball fans. Like, people want to go and watch, you know, BP and like all of that. But sometimes it's just like, I enjoy going to just watch what players do to warm up. And that's the thing. If you can, and I was there for other reasons at Miller Park. And I mean, this was hours before the game. So this is before, you know, gates open or something like that. And that's what guys are doing. They're, you know, it's guys from, you know, other teams. They're out there just chatting, you know, having a good time. And, players out there with their kids and stuff like that early on other ones were doing yoga and stuff in the outfield so i mean if you want to know what they're doing well before the game starts it's pretty laid back i will never forget there was a father's day game and ben sheets they were doing a thing where uh players kids went and stood by the bases so you had you know varying ages some of them were almost like teenagers for some of the older players and then some of them had real young little kids ben sheets kid was probably two and had some ridiculous oversized jersey on. And he comes trotting out of the dugout, running up to the mound. 
and he trips and falls and face plants, and the entire crowd goes, oh. It was, it stuck with me like 10, 12, 15 years later. It was the most ridiculously adorable thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah. So, uh, okay, moving on to the outfield, uh, left field for a decade plus now, Ryan Braun. Um, I guess what are our expectations for Braun? I know there's a lot being made of his, you know, hard contact rates and stuff like that last season. Um, well, you saw the interview, right? Where he said, come out and see my BP. If you're, it, they asked him, it, how's it going? Like, is it, are you noticing a difference in like the contact of the ball? And he says, come out and watch my BP. Hey, JP, have there ever been any, uh, BP all-stars that you've heard of batting practice all-stars? Uh, Yes. Not exactly the best judge of what a, a player is going to do in a game. No, but what I will say is if you have somebody like Ryan Braun who has played for a long period of time and knows what his swing looks like and knows how the ball carries, who is telling you that he notices a big difference, I think that that's worth understanding and worth worth thinking about. What it doesn't say is how that actually works against uh, big league pitching. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Ryan wrote this question down from Doug Jones on Patreon, <laughs> but it's actually Darren Jones on Patreon. Sorry, Darren. You had Doug, D- former former closer for, what, 30 years? I mean, he could maybe grow that mustache, and then he could be Doug Jones. I thought you were going to say Doug Jones could still be pitching in Major League Baseball because he only threw about 70. Yeah, I mean, he was throwing 70 when... Is he still alive? Doug Jones. I just want to make sure. <laughs> he was really old when he was, you know, finishing out his career in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, he was with the Brewers in 82, right? He was on that 82 Brewers team, and then he came back in the late 90s. Yeah, it was around, like, 2000. Didn't he, like... He, I thought he pitched in Miller Park as well. Mm, I don't know. Pretty late, but yeah. I don't know. He he wore the M&B logo, didn't he? Which is yeah. our new Patreon tier. Uh, anyways... Uh, Darren Jones asks, will Ryan Braun's swing change lead to improved results, JP? Uh, again, like it's a real cop-out answer. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I like every single time we talk about swing changes and how these things affect, like we focus on the good stories and then the stories that, you know, get so much hype and then in the year don't actually do anything. Like we don't we never hear about it again, right? Like you have, you have the good stories that you hear somebody like Danny Jansen with, with Toronto that is like transformed himself into a legitimate, like big league guy. But then like Colin Morin was supposed to be the dude who like finally figured out that he had, you know, like completely changed his swing. And that's why he suddenly hit for more power. And that's why uh, Pittsburgh ended up like getting him in the, um, in the, the, the Garrett Cole trade. And he's probably not even gonna start this year. Like, and so you just hear about so many of these things. It's it's a lot like guys who get new contacts or guys who develop a new pitch or all of these things that you don't actually have anything to compare it to yet. All you have is a narrative at this point. All you have is a narrative and the player telling you that actually this is a good thing. I'm right? all in on it. Well, I know you are, but uh, also wait, hold on, hold on. Ryan is all in. I'm out. I'm totally out on Ryan Braun having some kind of renaissance season. Do you I want, believe so? Like my my actual answer is that Ryan Braun is going to be better than last year because uh, last year he was so unlucky that any that Ryan is going to be able to look at um, any uh, any kind of like positive 
kind of regression to the mean and say that it was the swing change. He's going to be putting up MVP numbers in the first half, and there's going to be all these people nationally who will notice and be like, he must be back on the steroids again, and that is going to be delicious. Last season, he was unlucky, and he had DRC plus of 108, and the year before, he was like at 109. So no, I don't believe there's going to be some like major change. Because because there are only two seasons by which you can look at it. Um, He's old. He doesn't get to be old forever. Steve, you're eventually five years older than him. Don't do do the I'm not out on the field swinging a bat. I don't have to worry about that. I can I can still call him old. Don't do the reverse Ryan and say somebody's automatically going to get worse just because they get older. I didn't say worse. I just said I don't believe he's going to have some renaissance season. That's also not a reverse Ryan. That's just a Ryan also. (laughs) <laughs> that is a Ryan. Also, yeah, Ryan. Ryan uh, subscribes to the age curves pretty heavily. Um, but what I I I did want to bring this back for a second. Um, Doug Jones's last season was in 2000, so now he just barely missed Miller Park. Oh darn it! But it he hadn't he been for the train the, accident. But he did pitch in the M and B logo, like I said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we got that. Um, okay, moving to center field. Uh, do we believe Lorenzo Cain can keep playing at this level in his mid thirties? In yes. mid thirties, he's what we're counting mid thirties as thirty two. Like he's thirty three this year. Yeah. Uh, my answer is yes, uh, and because he's really good. Yeah, the concern would be injuries. If the injuries start to pile up and make him miss time, and then which degrade. was a concern before he started it's always been a concern with him but you wonder if they start to accumulate and then if they start to degrade his ability when he's actually on the field is the concern because he plays a very aggressive center field as well so he is exposing himself to some injury risk in terms of how he plays in center field and that's always a concern you have to worry about with guys he's pretty good at avoiding it but you know things happen and Part of what makes him so great is he does play that great aggressive defense in center field. But what's been really nice about watching him over the last few years is he's awesome going back. Well, he's transformed himself from a guy who was a slug first, maybe take some walks later sort of guy to over the last. And this started in fairness when he was in Kansas City, but he has really transformed into a guy who will work walks and has become sort of a prototypical leadoff hitter where he is primarily focused on getting on base, but then can hit for some real power when guys, when he gets them in a position where they're in trouble and have to bring it into the zone. So, you know, it's, I would think so for another year or two, but you know, it's a five-year contract and by the end of it, it's not going to look the way it looks now. And you'd think he probably would be in a corner outfield at that point. No, no, I don't think he's ever in a corner outfield. I mean, do you, JP? Unless they have somebody that can play just an absolute stellar center field. No, I don't think they would move him. But um, fortunately, if the end of the deal isn't going to look exactly how you want, he's going to outperform the beginning of his deal pretty heavily. So I wouldn't worry about it. too. He already has. I mean, he's already made probably half that contract. That's why I said he's going to. Yeah, it will be the next couple of years as well. Um, JP, if if. Kane does miss time because I don't want to spend too much time on him. We know who Lorenzo Kane is at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's real good. If he misses time, um, Kristen Yelich is not a full-time center fielder. Does he I, st- Does he become the full-time center fielder or do they have another option? 
I think it depends on how long the injury is. I think if it's just a couple of weeks, um, then yeah, I think Chris Mielich moves over to center field and they do that, but they end up calling up Tyrone Taylor and they just kind of like play them both there. Um, if he's out for a long period of time, they might, depending on what's happening in, in the minors, they might kind of roll and see what Tyrone Taylor can do over a longer period of time. I also don't necessarily know if Ben Gamble can play center. Um, as of now, I don't, I don't, think so uh, in terms of like a longer period of time i'm sure we've seen uh you know who didn't oh man who who played center field um was it uh cory no not cory koski who played center field for for the the brewers in a playoff game that made everyone mad <laughs> who's the manager in mark Philly? kotze oh Karth- kotze? Mark kotze, mark yeah. kotze all i could think of was all i could think of was cory koski and gabe kapler and i knew that neither of kapler, those were that's right. who i was thinking of yeah no it's yeah mark kotze which still makes people lose their minds when you talk about him playing some man remember when old three. remember when old jim edmonds was on the team yeah that was that same year or maybe it was 2010 uh, yeah. but yeah um the other thing you brought up um i wanted to say matt gamble ben gamble Uh, I've been impressed with his abilities in the corner outfield in spring training. He has made a number of really rangy plays where he had speed I did not expect him to have. Maybe that's just because I'm thinking of his brother. But when I was watching him, he went deep into the corner to make a couple nice plays. And I don't know if he necessarily has center field speed or that you would want it there. But it looks like in the corners anyway, he's going to be just fine defensively. Like, if not sure. average. Hey, J- JP, we have a question from Darren Jones about this. He asked, what are some of the, the strengths and limitations of Ben Gamble? Uh, so he's not going to hit for a ton of power, but he can draw some walk. He's he's a good, solid uh, major league hitter, for, especially for a fourth outfielder, and he's going to be quite good in, in the corner outfield spots defensively. Um, I think a lot of why people don't necessarily know how good he is, he plays in uh, Seattle and nobody ever sees it. Right. I mean, like and and he was overshadowed for a long time in in New York before that. And so he's a guy who is kind of your your high end fourth outfielder. And you don't want him to have to play a ton of time. But if he can or if he's kind of forced into that spot, like he's the he is the guy that you like to have in terms of flexibility um, and can like not embarrass himself with the bat. So is he the unquestioned fourth outfielder for this team? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, okay. In right field, uh, we have Christian Yelich, who seems to have no flaws in his game, um, unless you saw Magnum PI and weren't impressed with his his wasn't impressed with his acting ability. Did you see that? Did you know that there is a version of Magnum PI on TV right now? Yeah, because every single thing has been recycled and pop culture wise, and it's all being broken. I'm asking, did you know that? Yeah, I, you can claim yes, that everything's I, been I seen recycled. It. Okay. Well, isn't there also a uh, Hawaii Five O re? Oh God, they're like a decade into that. <laughs> I only knew about the Magnum PI thing because my dad called me because it was on CBS. So obviously, he's like, "Hey, did you see Christian Yelich on Magnum PI?" I'm like, "No, of course not." I wasn't also, watching I, Magnum P.I. That show was like oh, off the air by the time I was born, I think. Like originally, not not quite. No, yeah, it, I think it, it, it was hanging around. It hung out into the 80s. Yeah. So anyways, uh, JP, Christian Yelich, does, I mean, do we expect him to repeat what he did last season? Because especially that second half was so incredible. Um, 
there aren't many players that could do that and we should have any kind of expectation that they would do that again yeah i i think that that's right um and this is something that that drew silva and i talked about in the the fantasy patreon show is a lot of people i think right now in the fantasy community are like christian yelich is going to take a step back in 2019 i was like congratulations he's not going to put up barry bonds numbers in the second half we all knew that but but could he do something where he puts up a similar line over the full season i i don't know i i think that basically what you should expect is uh kind of maybe a half dozen fewer homers but he's still going to hit for for plenty average and he's still going to draw uh, draw a ton of walks i mean could so, he be could he be a, a 320 average guy around a 400 on base and then slug 30 plus home runs again it, that's not out of the realm of possibility, is it? Um, if no, I mean no, and uh, and just because anybody, I think, who's kind of anywhere between a two ninety and three ten hitter for the vast majority of his career, if he gets good batting average on balls in play, he can absolutely hit three twenty over the course of a year. I think he can absolutely do that, and um, I don't think he's going to hit thirty six homers again. I think you'd probably be better off seeing twenty seven to thirty. Um, but that's just that's just a regression argument. Like, there's not a huge amount of like really intelligent thought behind it, other than like expecting a guy who put up a career year and just like hit for so much more power than anyone thought can't do it again until until we see it again. I don't think you can expect it, which is not really an intelligent argument, other than just kind of an argument from experience, I suppose. He hit three sixty seven, four forty nine, seven seventy in the second half. I mean, compared to 292, 364, 459. Even if he's much, much closer to that first number, that's still a way above average player. But again, my point was, if he did that, what his season line was last year, you know, in 2019, that's not going to look absurd. With what he had established before, the age he's at now in the park and everything like that. He could easily put up a full line like that. Just the idea that he then becomes Barry Bonds for three months. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not absurd, but I wouldn't, I would still take the under on all that. Like, give no, me, like, and but he could be a nine, 900 OPS guy. Sure. But he was a thousand. He was 1.000 sure. last year. So a 900 OPS guy. Yeah. Like it, I don't want to do too much over under stuff right now. Cause I don't want to step on. But if he week, was, but, if he was a 400 on base, 500 slugging guy. That wouldn't be crazy. No, I don't think no. it would be crazy. But I will say that one of the biggest issues for him this past year is going to be the fact that he still over 50% of the time hits the ball on the ground. And so in order for him to hit as much for as much power as he does, like his home run per fly ball rate is got to be just massive. And last year it was 35%, um, which is huge. And so I I just don't see that being able to kind of replicated itself again that's fair but overall we're excited about christian yelich right i don't want to end the reigning mvp i do not want to end on a down note when we're talking about christian yelich because again to say like he's not going to be you know barry bonds for half a season right but that's unfair so like his 35 percent home run per fly ball rate was the best in baseball by six percent like joey like he did better than joey gallo by eight <laughs> percent, and that's and, Joey Gallo's like one of two skills. 
Yeah, and Joey, yeah, it, that's right. Joey Gallo, if he hits the ball in the air, you're like, wow, that's going to go far. It's either going to go like 100 feet in the air to the second baseman, or it's going to go 450 feet. Like, that's what Joey, that's what Joey Gallo does. And so it's just one of those things that I think it would be, you know, it, it's it'd kind of be borderline irresponsible to expect that level of, of home run unless he changes his swing. But, you know, like everybody, I, Everyone wants to say like he kind of changed his swing plane last year. He didn't. So he far, didn't. so far this spring, I don't think anything's looked drastically different about his swing. No, but he doesn't have a major more. uppercut or anything like that. But he's hitting lasers around the field. Oh well, right, because that's what he does. Um, but did you see the the shipment he got from Louisville Slugger and all like the bats that came in like the the carrying case? Those were beautiful. No, I didn't. I missed that I as well. Check that out. Oh man, no, it was like because of he was MVP and has used Louisville Slugger for a long time. They sent him like. Uh, they sent him just like ca- uh, an entire case of bats that were like extremely well polished and in a beautiful carrying case. And I was like, that's what you get if you're an absolute, if you, uh, if you are willing to use a bat and be outward about it and absolutely mash, you get, you get good treatment. Have you seen the Louisville Slugger bat that they're selling on cable during I the did. games? Yeah. And during it, it shows up on MLB Network quite a bit too. Yeah. Where you can get his, you can buy the emblazoned on yeah. it. Yes. So, okay, so that's going to do it for our uh, position player preview. Next week, we have the prop bet episode. Don't miss that one. And we're going to have that open online for people to enter. Uh, We had prizes for some first place winners last season. So obviously, the more people that can get involved in that, the better. Um, And then we have some new uh, patrons on Patreon this week. So JP, you want to take over for that? Yeah, certainly will. And again, a huge thank you to ever absolutely everybody. And so we got a good group this week. Patrick Balwig, who's been a longtime Twitter follower. So thanks. Thanks for that, Patrick. And then Nate, uh, I believe it'd be Weffel, but it might be Wolfel. Wolfel. Like Gary Wolfel. Don't put that on him. Uh, <laughs> and so Nate Gruber and Richard Anderson, a huge thank you to everybody. Uh, and it for, for Nate, it would depend on how German it is and how and how the pronunciation would be. So Nate please on Twitter as everybody else has done really helpfully. Uh, just give me a shout out if I mispronounced your name. And if I did, uh, and if I nailed it, that's awesome. If, if I mispronounced it, I'll make sure to correct myself next week. Yeah. So don't forget you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate uh, patrons at the ball and glove level receive the monthly minor league extra podcast patrons at the M and B level will get entry into our fantasy baseball league. If you join uh, before March 20th. So make sure to do that. Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You could submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And just to reiterate, if you do if you're not one of our uh, M and B level patrons and you are interested in the fantasy baseball league, obviously on Patreon we'll do a uh, thread so you can reply there if you're interested. We'll put you in a smaller pool to be drawn from. And everyone else, if you want to just send an email to Milwaukee's with an S dot tailgate at gmail.com um, and put fantasy baseball in the subject, we'll make sure to get you into the drawing for that. And just as one final shout out, draft March 24th. 10 p.m. Eastern time. That's a Sunday. So if you can't make that, please do not say that you can be in the league because um, it'd be really sad if we had a bunch of auto drafters. Yep. Yeah, we don't want any auto drafters. But we're trying to do it at a time that hopefully people can just have free. Right. Sunday nights generally are pretty good for that. Yeah. And it's not going to be an auction. It will be a uh, snake draft, which will help the time 
go it'll it'll go quicker and it's before game of thrones starts back up so you don't have that to compete with so uh don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher google play and we're on spotify you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast so thanks for listening and look for us again next week on milwaukee's tailgate